0: All right, if you will, brothers and sisters, open with me in your Bibles to the book of Mark once again. Today we're in Mark chapter 2. Mark chapter 2, starting in verse 1. Our text this morning will not be up on the screens behind me i typically like to have you turn in that text yourself. I think you'll be best served looking at your own copy of Scripture. If you don't have a copy of Scripture, that blue one, that blue Bible on the pew in front of you will serve well. Uh, But we will have the, the other references up on the screen behind me, but not the main text. So I'd encourage you to open and look at it with us. The morning of June 9th, 1973, was one of national anticipation in this country. It was the Belmont Stakes. And the question was, could Secretariat do what no other horse had done, at least since Citation in 1948, could he win the Triple Crown? Well, that morning, the anticipation was nowhere near what it would have been if people understood what they were going to see later that day. Secretariat ran by any account what is the greatest horse race ever run by any horse. Some people have called this the greatest moment in sports history. He won the race by 31 lengths, 31 lengths ahead of the second place finisher. His track record still stands. And the the most amazing thing is hearing the testimonies from people who were there of how it was more than just a horse race. It was more than that. They insist on it over and over again. For example, Pat Lynch, who was then the president of the New York Racing Association, said it was almost a supernatural experience. Jack Whitaker of CBS Sports said everyone was speechless, and then when it set in, people were crying. This is a horse race. This is silly, right? The horse running in a circle. He runs one circle, right? People were crying. George Plimpton, writer for Sports Illustrated, said, I quote, there were these co-eds lining the rail, and he said, now this sounds hard to believe, but I swear half of them were weeping as he went by, as the horse went by. What in the world? What what would cause you to do something like this? At all, for, Of all things, a horse race. Well, Pat Lynch, who I mentioned just a, a second ago, probably put it best when he said, It was like the Lord was holding the reins. And Secretariat was one of his creatures. And he maybe whispered to him a a go. And that horse really went. Everybody, almost to a person, talks like that, about that event, about being there. The, The feeling of transcendence in the moment. Every now and then, in this world, it seems as if God will reach down. And, and kind of break into the natural course of things, and give you a sense of all of a sudden, he's here. There, there's more to this than what we're just experiencing on a physical level. It's the hand of God. And no one will ever convince me that that's not what happened on that day, even though I wasn't there, I wasn't born. I weep. I don't even like horse racing. I think it's silly. I weep when I see documentaries of this thing happen. What? what was it? It it had to have been something like that. But I'll leave you with the thought of William Knack, a Secretariat biographer who was there that day, who when Secretariat crossed the finish line stood up and could not help but shout to everyone around him, we'll never see this again. We'll never see anything like this again. It was just coming out of him. He just couldn't help but shout that to everyone who was around. And think he's exactly right. You're never going to see that again unless the Lord just decides to do something. Today we look at a similar scene, the hand of God in the midst of a seemingly normal situation that caused people to come away saying, we've never seen anything like this. Let's read our text. This is Mark chapter 1 starting in, or Mark chapter 2 starting in verse 1. Read down to verse 12. This is God's word. And glorified God saying, we never saw anything like this. We never saw anything like this. I want to take you step by step through five aspects of this passage today. Five different aspects of this passage today. We start with what I'm calling a surprising first move from Jesus. A surprising first move from Jesus. Every now and then, uh, I I play chess every now and then. Every now and then in chess you will come across someone who makes a very surprising first move. It's really surprising. Now, sometimes it's because they're not very good, very good, and that they made a mistake right off the bat, and you're surprised by how bad that move was. Or it could be because they're really good, and, and they're throwing you off your game by, by surprising you at what they're doing, and really they're, they're luring you into a trap. Well, Jesus' first move here is indeed surprising, Because when the the paralytic is lowered before him, the first thing he does, the first thing he says, instead of healing the man, which is why he's there, everyone knows that's why they brought this paralytic to Jesus. Instead of healing him, his first move is to say, son, your sins are forgiven. Your sins are forgiven. Why would he do that? Why would he say that? Why would he do that before healing him? Well, it's because Jesus takes care of this man's deepest need first. He takes care of his deepest need first. The Gospels are filled with people coming to Jesus for surface-level needs. It's all over the place. They want food. They want water. They want to be healed of their physical ailments. And over and over again, Jesus redirects them to something that they need more than those things. And there is something that this man needs more than to be healed of his paralysis. He needs his guilt before God taken away. That is his first and deepest need. He needs his guilt before God taken away. The great problem of the world is not poverty. The great problem of the world is not disease or hunger, or even injustice. The great problem of mankind is sin, because sin separates us from God. That is the great problem of all mankind. Sin separates us from God. And if we go through this life without having our sin taken away, we will suffer for it for all eternity, away from the presence of God. This is the great problem for all humanity, even for those who do not know it. And so Jesus takes care of this man's deepest need first. He addresses something that he needs more than physical healing and he does that first. And so what are you struggling with today? Or what are your loved ones struggling with today? What struggles are heavy on your heart and on your shoulders today? What struggles take up Most of your time in prayer today? Is it cancer? Is it dementia? Is it Alzheimer's? Is it Parkinson's? Is it long term illness? Heart troubles? Chronic pain? Or is it something like anxiety or depression or loneliness? I pray that God would would heal you of all of those. I pray that God would heal you of all of those. But you have a deeper need. You have a deeper need. And there's a healing that you need more than that one. And if you come to God for this healing, one day you'll get the other one as well. If you come to God for this healing, one day, it's just a matter of time, you will get the other one as well. But if you do not come to God for this greater healing, one day you will have all kinds of other problems that you do not even have now. You will need a healing that you will never receive for all eternity. But if you come to him now for for this deeper healing that you need more than anything, you'll receive all the others. It's just a matter of time. This is the one we truly need. When you come to Christ... He gives you what you need. He gives you what you didn't even know you needed. Can you imagine the scene where this man gets lowered before Jesus? And, and, and he's finally gotten to Jesus with all the other obstacles that were in the way. All the times where he thought, maybe I won't even get to him. He's gotten to him. He's right in front of him. He thinks, this is the moment. I could walk. Right here, right now, I could, I could not be paralyzed anymore. And Jesus looks right at him and he's, he's just so anticipating what Jesus is going to say. And Jesus says, your sins are forgiven. Can you imagine what that must have been like for that man? I, I picture, and I, I, of course we're not told this, but I almost guarantee you that man was shocked by what Jesus said because of it, it was a need he didn't know that he had that was deeper than the physical healing. I picture this man being so moved in that moment because of of how surprised he was at what Jesus said to him right at first. Have you ever been so emotionally moved by something because it's not what you were expecting? Perhaps a a scene in a movie, something someone says or does and it shocks you and the next thing you know, your heart has melted and you're crying. I think that's what this man was going through right then and there. Jesus says, here's what you have always longed for but you were never able to articulate it. Do you know what this feels like? The longing inside that you can't even name. The longing that you you don't even know how to describe. Everyone in the world has it. It's not just you. Everyone in the world has it. This is the way God has made us a drive to finally feel true satisfaction. A drive to finally have what your heart is yearning for... ...even though you can't put your finger on it. We're looking for it in everything. Billions of dollars are spent every year trying to give it to people. And God created us like this. And Paul says in Acts 17, he did it so that we might reach out for him... ...and find him even though he is not far from each one of us. He created us like this on purpose... And so Jesus gives us what we didn't even know we needed. The story of humanity, brothers and sisters, is that we think what we really need is one thing, and what we actually need is something different. That's the story of humanity. And only when we come to Jesus do we get what we truly need. Psalm 37.4 says, Delight yourself in the Lord, and he will give you the desires of your heart. But only when you delight yourself in the Lord. It is only when you delight yourself in the Lord that the true desires of your heart can be met. Only he can do it. And so that's Jesus' surprising first move. But through this first move, Jesus makes an outrageous claim. He's making an outrageous claim here. Look at verses 6 and 7 in our text. It says, some of the scribes were sitting there and they were questioning in their hearts, why does this man speak like that? He is blaspheming. Who can forgive sins but God alone? They understood immediately. They got it. They understood the implications of what Jesus was saying immediately. This man is claiming to have the authority to forgive sins. Now, you might read that and think, well, wait a second. I can forgive sins. I can forgive someone when they sin against me. That's true. But what you cannot do is clear someone of their guilt before God. None of us can do that. You cannot clear someone else of their guilt before God. Every sin we commit is first and foremost a sin against God and His righteous commandments. Our deepest need is for our guilt before God to be taken away. And only God can do that. Only He can forgive sins in this way. And so the scribes are shocked and scandalized by Jesus saying, Son, your sins are forgiven. And it's because they understand Jesus is claiming here to be God. That's what he's doing. Jesus is claiming to be God. He's claiming to have the authority to do something that only God can do. And they're right about that. Only God has the authority to forgive sins against God. And so Jesus is claiming to be God here. He's claiming to be God. Jesus is not just a human being. And he is not just the Son of God. He is the second person of the Trinity. God the Son. God in the flesh. Emmanuel. God with us. He's fully man, but fully divine. Fully God. John 1.1 1, 1 says, In the beginning was the Word, speaking of Jesus, and the Word was with God, but then it says the Word was God. Or how about Colossians 2, 9. Colossians 2, verse 9. For in him, Jesus, the whole fullness of deity dwells bodily. The whole fullness of deity dwells bodily. And it would indeed have been blasphemy for anyone else to say this. If it was just any other man, it would have indeed been blasphemy. But this is not just another man. This is Jesus we're talking about. And so it's an outrageous claim. He can claim it. It's an outrageous claim, especially to the scribes. He's claiming to be God. But then after his claim comes an undeniable validation of that claim. An undeniable validation. Look at verses 8 through 10. Immediately Jesus, perceiving in his spirit that they thus questioned within themselves, he said to them, Why do you question these things in your hearts? And then he says, which is easier? To say to the paralytic, your sins are forgiven, or to say, rise up, take your bed, and walk? Which is easier? How would you answer that question? Which one's easier? Which one is easier for Jesus to say? Now, you could actually answer this either way, depending on how you frame it. This is the brilliance of Jesus. Jesus is the most brilliant teacher that has ever walked the earth. His brilliance is on display here. You could answer this question either way, depending on how you frame it. In one sense, it's easier to say, rise up and walk. Why would that be easier? Well, because there have been other men in history who could perform that miracle, right? There have been other men in history, like, say, Elijah or Moses or Paul or Peter, who have done similar miracles to that, but only one man in history could legitimately forgive sins, and so in that sense, it's easier to say, rise up, take your bed, and walk. But in another sense, and this is likely how Jesus is intending it for the scribes, in another sense, it's easier for Jesus to say, your sins are forgiven. Why would that be easier to say? Well, because there's no way to prove that one. No way to prove that one. He just said, son, your sins are forgiven. And I'm, maybe they are, but maybe they're not. We, we, we really don't know, but if, if you say, rise up and walk, well... We'll just see about that now, won't we? Right? We'll see if that happens. And so in a sense, that one's the harder one. Because we can prove that one. Let's see what happens. Now look at verse 10. Jesus gives an explanation here. Before he says to the paralytic, rise. He says in verse 10 to the scribes. But that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. And then he says it. Then he heals him. And so, what's the purpose of this miracle? What's the primary reason why Jesus heals this paralyzed man? To prove that he has authority on earth to forgive sins. That is the primary reason he is doing this miracle. To prove that he has authority. To prove that he is God in the flesh. You see, miracles are validations. Over and over again in scripture, Miracles are validations. They are validating claims. Miracles authenticate someone as a true messenger of God in the eyes of the people. They authenticate this person. It's an authenticating power that they come with. For instance, Jesus says of himself in John 5, 36. He says, the testimony that I have is greater than that of John the Baptist. Remember, John the Baptist was constantly giving testimony about Jesus Jesus says, the testimony I have is greater than that of John. For the works that the Father has given me to accomplish, the very works that I am doing, bear witness about me that the Father has sent me. You see what he's saying there? The works that I'm doing show that I have actually come from the Father. They authenticate me. Nicodemus said just as much in John 3. When he came to Jesus by night and he said to Jesus, we know. We, we Pharisees, we know that no one could do the things you're doing unless he had come from God. The miracles authenticated him, validated his claims. The miracles are not the point. Understand this. The miracles were not Jesus' primary mission. They're not the point. Look back up at verse 2 in our text. Verse 2, it says, Many were gathered together so that there was no more room, not even at the door, and he was preaching the word to them. He was preaching the word to them. That's why he was there. That's why, why he was drawing crowds. Look back up at Mark chapter 1, verse 38. Mark chapter 1, verse 38. After Jesus had been off praying, we looked at this a couple weeks ago. Jesus had been off praying by himself. Finally, they, they find him. Simon says to him, everyone's looking for you. In verse 38, he says, let us go on to the next towns that I may preach there also, for that is why I came out. That is why I came out. The the physical miracles were not the point. Jesus came to do something deeper. Jesus came to, to address a deeper need than just people's physical ailments. The message that he brings is what saves. The message of the good news of God. And so when that man actually did rise, it validated Jesus' claim to forgive sins. Jesus' claim that I am, I am God in the flesh here among you. Much like the resurrection validates everything Jesus ever said and everything he ever taught. And so it's an undeniable validation of the outrageous claim. But I want to change gears here for just a moment and focus with you in on these four friends and the man who was Paralyzed. The man who was paralyzed and the four friends. Because they had a bold determination. They had a bold determination. Don't miss this. The determination of these four friends and this paralyzed man. What a blessing it must have been for that paralyzed man to have friends like this. Right? To have friends like this who are willing to carry you and get you to Jesus. And to have friends not not, not just who are willing to carry you... But friends who would do whatever it took, they're willing to do whatever it takes to get this man to Jesus. No obstacle is going to stand in their way and stop them. They will not give up. I mean, think about it. The the man is paralyzed first, so they have to carry him the whole way. And then there's a crowd when they get there. How disappointing. And the crowd is so huge, they can't even get at Jesus. He's at the door. And then you find, well, Jesus is preaching. He's busy. And then... Not only can they not get to him, the only way it seems they can get to him is they've got to carry this paralyzed man up on a roof. And then once they get up there, they have to destroy someone else's property, tear a hole in their roof, and then Jesus is down there. Now we've got to lower this paralyzed man all the way down to where Jesus is. I mean, this is, there's all kinds of obstacles, all kinds of chances that they might have had to give up and go home and say, we, we just can't do this. But they are undaunted. Undaunted, much like the persistent widow of Luke 18 who would not take no for an answer from the judge. Or the Gentile woman who came to Jesus begging Jesus to heal her daughter and she would not take no for an answer even from Jesus. And the lesson that I want to give you to walk away with today is that God honors this kind of pursuit of him. God honors this kind of pursuit of him when we are willing to do whatever it takes to get to God, to get to Jesus, to have Jesus. That no obstacle is going to stand in our way until I get Jesus, until I get more of God. God says in Jeremiah twenty-nine, thirteen: you will seek me and find me when you seek me with all your heart. When you seek me with all your heart. You see, we tend to let the smallest of obstacles stand in our way of Having and pursuing God, these men, nothing was going to stand in their way. We tend to let the smallest of obstacles stand in our way. I, my, my, my favorite show is on can 't spend time with God. my favorite show 's on or i don 't feel all that well today or I, I was really busy. Sometimes it is like we are looking for excuses not to pursue the lord sometimes it 's like we, we want an excuse we 're just looking for one. If I can find an excuse, then I can get out of pursuing and having more of God. Not to pray, not to read our Bibles, not to be in worship, looking for any excuse. It reveals a heart that really doesn't want God that much at all. If we're just swayed by by simple, small obstacles, how much do we really want the Lord? if it's all it takes to keep us away from God. And so my question to you today is, how much do you want the Lord? Will you, like these men, do whatever it takes to get to Jesus? Will you do whatever it takes to get to Jesus? Will you sacrifice your time? Will you sacrifice your schedule? Are you willing to sacrifice your comfort or your entertainment? Are you willing to invest money if that's what it takes? Are you willing to be looked down upon or ridiculed? Will you choose Jesus over your own desires? Will you choose him over your very self? How much do you really want him? Which leads us right into the the last point I want to make from this passage. This man was paralyzed, but again, we see Jesus is dealing with something deeper here. And there's a deeper problem than just physical ailments, physical paralysis. There's a paralysis of the heart. There's a paralysis of the heart. If you think about John chapter 9 where Jesus healed the man born blind, Jesus actually used that healing and that blind man to address and confront the Pharisees who were the real blind ones. He he says later in that chapter in John 9, you're the ones who are truly blind. Well, here in our text... The ones who were truly paralyzed were the scribes. They were the ones who were truly paralyzed. And brothers and sisters, so many today have that same paralysis in their hearts. Paralyzed in their hearts. They can't move toward Jesus. They feel the call of the Holy Spirit and they resist it. They sit in a church pew, week after week, hearing the word and doing nothing about it. They cannot take a step toward Jesus to ask him to heal their souls. I bet some of you have felt like this. Paralyzed to remain right where you are. And if someone were to ask you, what are you waiting for? The reason is, it's just not the right time. It's just not the right time. My friends, I ask you today when will the right time be? When will the right time be? Are you waiting for when it's easiest and when all the stars have aligned? Do you not know? that you are waiting on something that will never happen. You're waiting on something that will never happen. Today is the day of salvation. Today. Jesus is ready to heal. Jesus is willing to heal. God is ready to forgive and to welcome any with open arms who come to him, but only those who are willing to say, none of these excuses are going to stand in my way anymore. I'm going to do it. I'm going to get to Jesus. No matter what it takes, I'm going to go to Jesus. Because if you want, you can find a hundred excuses today that it's not the right time. A hundred excuses to stay away from the Lord today. All kinds of reasons why it's not the right time. But brothers and sisters, I'm telling you, There is no right time if you're defining it like that. Today is the day of salvation. Will you not come? Will you not deny yourself finally and say, I'm not going to listen to that voice inside of me any longer. And I'm going to go to Jesus and get the healing that I've always waited for, that I've always wanted. And when I go, I promise you, you'll be like, what was I waiting on? Satan is blinding. The minds of unbelievers, Paul says. He's blinding us. We have to wake up and see by the light of God's word, by the light of God's truth, by the light of the world, Jesus Christ. And only then can you find what your heart has been longing for your entire life. Come to him today. I beg of you, come to him today. Why wait? What are you waiting for? Come to him. Here in just a moment, we're going to stop and pray for two or three minutes. We give this time each week after the sermon so that each one of us can respond to whatever the Lord has just laid upon our hearts. Because it's likely different for you than it is for those sitting next to you. And So let's all go to the Lord for a few minutes in prayer. Let's respond to him in whatever way we need to. And then after we pray, we're going to have an invitation time where perhaps there are those who need to give themselves to the Lord in a public way can come forward and do so. So let's pray for a few moments.